and it was night. What a closing sentence. What, to, what a way to end this passage that was just read for us. And it was night. There is no darker night than the black night of betrayal. Have you ever felt or been betrayed? I think we all have at some point. Maybe by a leader in your life, maybe a colleague, maybe a friend, maybe even a family member. Regardless of who was responsible, the darkness of betrayal is a special kind of darkness, and it brings with it a special kind of pain. In fact, few things in life bring as much hurt, frustration, and anger than betrayal because of where the hurt came from. Not an enemy, not a stranger, not even an acquaintance, but a friend. Someone who is supposed to have your back, not stab you in the back. Someone that you trusted with your heart. Betrayal is such a dark, dark night because it severs relationship and it breaks trust and take away trust from any relationship and the darkness just increases. And it was night. But you know, the truth is, none of us are immune to experiencing the night of betrayal. We live in a world full of broken and imperfect people whose relationships consist of other broken and imperfect people. A broken promise, a confidence not kept, a breach of trust, a slanderous word, rub shoulders with enough people long enough, and sooner or later, unfortunately, those things are going to happen. In fact, sometimes in life, we, we wear both hats, that of the betrayed and that of the betrayer. In the passage that we just heard, sometimes we sit in the seat of Judas and sometimes we sit in the seat of Jesus. You know, I remember a time as a young adult, I don't know, probably about 20 years old, I experienced this exact dynamic. A friend had confided in me about a struggle in their life and thinking that I might be able to support them in this area, in this struggle in their life, I told somebody else who I thought could help them. I betrayed their confidence. That was problem number one. Problem number two was the person that I told, even though I specifically asked them to keep it confidential, did not. Suddenly, like, I felt betrayed. And I came to the realization that I was also had betrayed the trust of my friend. And things got cleared up, but what a mess. And for me, it was just this really, really tough lesson about the darkness that betrayal can bring and how in life we often sit in both seats as the betrayed and the betrayer. And you know, sometimes we even betray Jesus when we ignore his voice and choose to go our own way, when we willingly 
and intentionally choose sin over goodness, when we offer up our life to follow him without counting the cost, and then when we decide it's too hard, and we abandon our Savior, and it was night. But in the passage that we're considering today, in the darkness of this night, in an upper room filled with the gloom of betrayal, there is light. Because Jesus is in the room. So how do we find light in the dark night of betrayal? How do we avoid the snares of betrayal with other people and with Jesus? How do we maintain trusting relationships with God and others? And how do we react when the inevitable dark night of betrayal comes to our door? The answers are in the upper room because Jesus is in the upper room. And so let's go there together. If you have your Bible or your device, I encourage you to turn to the passage that was just read for us. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 30 today. Okay, John 13, 18 through 30. Quick recap. It's the festival of unleavened bread. In mere hours before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, Jesus has gathered to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. They're in a borrowed upper room in Jerusalem. And as they are gathered in this room over the next few hours, Jesus will reveal his heart to his friends with a new level of intimacy. There is such gravity, there is such weight to the words he will speak because these are some of his very last words. The things that he will teach them this night will transform their lives and it will equip them to follow Jesus in a world without him in it. In a world he was about to leave. Okay, but before he begins to speak, Jesus performs the most incredible prophetic act by actually washing the feet of his disciples. And in doing so, he reveals some really, really important things. He reveals that the one leading this upper room conversation is the living word of God. Jesus is divine. He reveals that the one leading this upper room conversation is humble and kind. He is a servant king. He reveals why he came, his mission to clean the deathly dirt of sin that holds humankind captive. He reveals that after his mission is completed, he will be returning to his rightful place of honor, the highest place at the right hand of God, his Father in heaven. And he reveals that in all of this, every word he will speak have eternal implications for you and me, and so we simply must listen. We must listen to this conversation, quite an opening scene in the upper room. And as John continues to paint this scene for us, immediately after this foot washing event, not only is the light of evening beginning to, to grow dimmer outside the setting sun, 
The spiritual environment inside the room is getting darker too because betrayal is in the room. Judas, one of his trusted followers, has already agreed to betray Jesus to the Sanhedrin, the supreme council of the Jewish religion, who oversaw all religious and civil and criminal matters. By disclosing Jesus' location to them and leading them to Jesus, all for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, actually not a lot of money. 30 pieces of silver is the exact same amount recorded in the Old Testament book of Zechariah that the prophet was paid for his daily wage as a shepherd. Okay, the Savior of the world sold for a day's wage. Judas will soon leave this upper room to go and complete this heinous act of betrayal. But before he does, this upper room scene can teach us some incredible, incredible lessons about navigating the darkness of betrayal. Okay, and immediately the first lesson that we learn is shallow hearts lead to deep betrayal. Okay, shallow hearts can lead to deep betrayal. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. On paper, on the surface of all the disciples Jesus called to follow him, Judas might have seemed like the best choice. Peter was emotionally unstable and at times prone to rage. Andrew possessed virtually no discernible leadership skills. Commentators call him the overshadowed saint. James and John had their mom kneel before Jesus, asking if her boys could sit on his left and right when he came into his kingdom. Really, guys? Mommy? Thomas is constantly killing morale with his perennial doubting. (laughs) Matthew is blacklisted as a former tax collector. The other James, the son of Alphaeus, is only mentioned four times in all the Gospels, living up to his nickname, James the Less. There's a nickname for you. Nathaniel was once famously quoted as saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip, after spending three years watching Jesus perform daily miracles, when asked by Jesus to feed a crowd of 5,000, leaned on math instead of faith. But that would cost eight months' wages, Jesus. Simon was a zealot with some pretty radical political leanings, as was Thaddeus, a violent nationalist who wanted desperately to see Jesus as an earthly political king instead of a suffering servant. But Judas... Like if he had a resume as Jesus was choosing his disciples, Judas's might have stood out from the rest. The only disciple, not from the poor northern fishing region of Galilee, but from the southern town of Kerioth, full of potential, a keen business mind, highly motivated and ambitious. Like on paper, on the surface, Judas might have seemed like a great candidate. But life isn't lived out on paper. And the surface is a dangerous place to swim if we want to avoid the water of betrayal. Because in the deep, deep places of Judas's heart lurk a darkness. 
You know, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when the prophet was looking for the best candidate to serve as king of Israel, he thought he had him on paper. On the surface, here's my guy. Jesse's son, Eliab, had all the markings of a king. Samuel saw him and he said, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. This is our guy, right? But God reminded Samuel about the dangers of shallowness and that God looks much deeper. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Despite following Jesus for three years, seeing miracles, hearing Jesus teach, watching how he loved people, listening to who Jesus said that he was, like Judas might have looked the part. He might have had the title disciple on the outside. But true discipleship requires transformation on the inside. And any faith he had was shallow at best. Surface. We see like a foreshadow of his shallowness of faith and character back in John 12 when Mary broke a jar of expensive perfume to anoint Jesus in worship and Judas protests. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Okay, there, there was the shallowness to Judas's devotion to Jesus. There was much evidence to suggest that Judas loved being around Jesus. The status and, and the power, the recognition, the cash. I mean, he stuck around for three years. There just isn't any evidence that he loved Jesus. From the outside, it appeared that Judas was close to Jesus, but on the inside, he couldn't have been any further. His relationship with Jesus was shallow, and shallow hearts can lead to deep betrayal. See, shallowness of, of, of faith and character, it leads to a separation in our relationship with Jesus and with other people. Look at verse 18 of our text. In verse 17, Jesus has just said that those who are committed to following his ways will be blessed. But in verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture, he who shared my bread has turned against me. Jesus actually makes a literal separation between Judas and the other disciples. Like when I speak of this blessing, I'm actually not talking about you, Judas. And though all the disciples have many faults, none of them got this following Jesus thing perfect, far from it. But Jesus makes a distinction between Judas and the other disciples. Jesus makes a clear separation between an outward appearance and a transformed heart. And that is sobering. 
Although outwardly Judas was the same as the others, inwardly he was far from experiencing this blessing that comes from allowing Jesus to make a deep and lasting impression in your heart. You know, of our faith, is, of our life of faith is shallow. If there's no evidence of increasing depth, if it's about an outward appearance instead of an inward transformation, saying the right things, doing the right things, being seen with the right people, but never allowing God to truly crack open the jar of perfume in our hearts and pouring it out in authentic devotion to Jesus. If he doesn't like own our hearts, there can occur a separation. And when there's a separation from Jesus, it's just a lot easier to betray him. To like turn when things get tough. To choose sin over goodness. To become distracted by the treasures of this world. And miss out on the real treasure of knowing him. See, Jesus longs for an ever-deepening, authentic, deep faith relationship with you. And you know, I think shallowness can cause separation in our relationships with one another too, you know, which it can lead to betrayal. God wants us to have deep, authentic relationships with one another. Like we're always going to have some relationships in our lives that are more surface level. People come into our lives in many ways. Work, sports teams, Kids that go to the same school, 95% of our friends on social media. But when it comes to the close relationships in our lives, God desires quality over quantity, depth over shallowness, people who will stay in the fight with you when life gets hard. When you're sick, when you're tired, when you're discouraged, people who got your back. Proverbs 18.24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Seek those kinds of people in your life. Seek to be one of those people. Seek depth in your relationship with Jesus and others. Depth is the antidote for betrayal. Okay, depth is the antidote for betrayal. Shallowness in relationship with Jesus and people causes separation. Depth in relationship with Jesus and people brings us close. Okay, Jesus keeps shining his light into the darkness of betrayal in this upper room. In verse 19, Jesus warns his disciples about the betrayal that's about to take place. I'm telling you before it happens, boys. So that you believe I am who I say I am. Right? Way back in the 6th century, the prophet Zechariah painted this picture of what the disciples were about to witness with amazing clarity. Psalm 41.9 also paints the picture about what was about to happen. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Psalm 55, 12 through 14 says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. 
but it is you. A man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. See, the disciples would have known these verses, and Jesus wanted them to know that he was the Messiah as they watched these verses playing out over the next few hours. It's happening just like he said it was going to happen. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus was troubled in spirit. Listen, Jesus knows how troubling and painful betrayal is for us. Because he felt it too. Just because he knew it was coming didn't make it hurt any less. Jesus is troubled in spirit. We have a savior who understands our pain. In verses 22 and 25, we found out that although Jesus knew exactly who would betray him, his disciples did not. Jesus knew, Jesus sees into us, he knows our hearts. Although we might think we could hide the betrayal we all fall victim to, he knows the potential for all of us to wade into the darkness of betrayal. He saw it in Judas and he sees it in us. But his disciples don't have a blessed clue. Verse 22 says they were at a loss to know which one of them was the betrayer. Okay, just imagine the scene. Go to the upper room with me for just a second. Jesus has just dropped a chaotic bomb of concern and confusion into the middle of the Passover table. One of you is going to betray me. Artists through history have tried to capture the emotion of this moment in verses 21 and 22 onto canvas to help us understand. One of you in this upper room sitting here at this table, one of you who I invited into my inner circle, one of you who I invested in for three years, who I loved, who I cared for and taught, one of you is going to betray me. And eyes begin to dart around the table. Hey, remember when you were a kid in, in school and the teacher was like, if the person who stole the candy from my desk will just return it, I won't punish the whole class. And every kid in the room started looking at each other. Who is it? Who did it? Fess up. I want to play four square recess, not stand for detention. Who did it? You multiply that by a million. Imagine the awkwardness, the tension. One of this group that had virtually done life together for three years with Jesus, who'd been through the highs and the lows, was about to betray the master. So Peter gives a nod of his head to John, who's sitting next to Jesus. Ask him. Ask him. And so John says into Jesus' ear, Lord, who is it? Tell us. And Jesus answers in a really meaningful way. In fact, he shines light into a really, really important part of dealing with the darkness of betrayal. It's hard. But love and forgiveness is God's response to betrayal. 
It's hard. But love and forgiveness is God's response to betrayal. Rather than just calling out his name, it's going to be Judas. <laughs> Jesus actually takes a piece of bread and he dips it in a dish and gives it to Judas. This is so incredibly meaningful and this has deep implications for us. See, every element of this Passover meal held great importance and had deep, deep meaning. You didn't eat haphazardly. This meal was full of tradition. And one of the traditional elements of the meal was something called dipping the sop. Okay, the sop was a piece of bread that was dipped into a bowl containing like the sweet relishy stuff called harasit. It was a reminder for those eating the meal of the mortar that was used to put the bricks into place in Egypt. And Jesus hand, dipped it and he handed it to Judas. Why is that important? Because you didn't just hand the sop to anyone at the table. It was a sign of special honor and respect. It was specifically designed to be handed to someone that you love. Jesus dipped it and he handed it to Judas, his betrayer. Imagine this moment for, for Judas. Like, I, I often wonder what was going through his head when Jesus handed him and treated him this way, when he handed him the bread. Did he play, replay the moment back in Matthew in chapter 26 after Mary anointed Jesus with the costly perfume? That moment when he said, last straw. I'm going to betray him. Did he hear in his ear the clink of silver coins landing on top of one another in a cloth bag as the chief priest counted out 30 of them? On the way into the upper room, was he like last in line climbing the stairs, knowing what he was about to do later this night? We actually don't know Judas's reaction. We only know Jesus' reaction. He forgave, he honored, and he loved even when he knew Judas would betray him. That's our Savior. Like, could we hand the sop to someone who betrayed us? The pain is real. The hurt can be immense. It can take a long time, a lifetime to forgive. It can be hard. But then we find harboring hate and resentment and bitterness in our hearts. Unforgiveness is only harder. And when we're betrayed, the answer isn't to justify or excuse or minimize or not call sin a sin. Jesus didn't do any of those things to Judas. But here's what he did. Before releasing Judas into the darkness of the night, before releasing Judas into the darkness of what he was about to do, Jesus releases Judas into the freedom of his forgiveness. Could we take steps to doing the same when we've been betrayed? 
can we accept Jesus' forgiveness that he offers to us when we are the betrayer? See, releasing our betrayer into the freedom of our forgiveness is never easy, but it's always worth it. Because it frees us. The text continues in verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. I just think it's really important to acknowledge that we have an enemy who is lurking in the shadows of that upper room and lurks in the shadows of our world, and he is the original betrayer. That we have an adversary who is very real, very active, very present, whose desire and strategy it is, is to separate us in relationship to Jesus and in relationship with one another. An adversary who's pretty satisfied when we settle for a shallow faith and shallow relationships and pretty terrified when we go deep. Division is the trap that he sets for us and the offense of betrayal is often the bait. When the air is thick with betrayal, the enemy smiles in the shadows. Recognizes schemes. Look for the bait of offense he wants us to take and don't take it. Recognize that this isn't just about people, that we have an enemy that loves to divide us and loves to separate us from our Savior. And then Jesus says, what you are about to do, do quickly. See, Jesus and and Judas are the only two men in this room of 13 friends who knew exactly what Judas was about to do as the rest of the disciples sit in confusion. Where's Judas going? As as Judas leaves the upper room, his heart darker than the Jerusalem streets, he disappears into the shadows, and it was night. Okay, the final lesson of light in this dark, dark room that Jesus brings, don't allow betrayal to define you. Let God define you. See, here we are, about 2,000 years after this upper room scene that we just considered, and Judas is still defined by what happened in the upper room. If you were to Google today, famous betrayers in history, guess whose name comes up first? His name, his literal name has become synonymous with betrayal. It has defined him. It's his story. And the story of Judas is a tragedy. Yet the story of Jesus is a triumph. See, Jesus wasn't defined by what just happened. He was defined by God. It could be easy to read this this text, especially this last sentence, filled with a sense of hopelessness. But the reality is that God was going to redeem this betrayal. 
to redeem all mankind. In shame, Judas would take his own life by hanging himself from a tree. In triumph, Jesus Christ would offer up his own life by hanging on a cross. Only to be raised in glory three days later. Despite this upper room betrayal, God would use what the enemy meant for evil for good. Because that's what he does. And he can do that for you. If we don't allow the betrayal in our life to define us as victims, God can use the pain and the scars to define you as a victor. Don't allow the betrayal you've experienced to define who you are. Don't let it define your future. That's God's job. Discover who he says you are. Shallow hearts lead to deep betrayal. Go deep in your relationship with Jesus and with others. Strive for authentic, deep relationships. Be a person of deep character. Surround yourself with people of deep character. Our world looks at outward appearances, but God looks into hearts. Look into hearts with him. And it's hard, but love and forgiveness is God's response to betrayal. Receive God's forgiveness when you betray Jesus. He still dips the bread of love and forgiveness and offers it to you. And offer and receive forgiveness from other people, whether you sit in the seat of the betrayer or the betrayed. Remember that we have an enemy who sets traps of offense, hoping it will lead to betrayal. Don't take the bait. And don't allow betrayal to define you. That's God's job. God still takes what the enemy has meant for evil and turns it for good. Receive his healing into the wounds of your betrayal. Knowing there was one who was also betrayed. Hey, Jesus gets us. You aren't a victim of the betrayal that you've encountered it's a part of our all of our stories but it doesn't have to be our story you are chosen precious son or daughter of the god of the universe and there are still enough blank pages in the story of your life for god to write a beautiful ending and it was night But there is a light that the darkness cannot extinguish because there is Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, you know everything even before we say a word. You know the hurt we feel as a result of betrayal and broken trust. Thank you that we can cry out to you in the midst of our pain and you are quick to give us your ear and your comfort. 
you will never leave us. Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And so we lift all our grief and our hurts to you. Please give us the strength that we need to choose to give it up to you, who is our healer. God, we confess that sometimes we allow the enemy ground in our hearts. Forgive us when we choose to betray others through gossip and slander and cursing. Thank you, God, that you work all things out for our good, even the hard things. And we celebrate the goodness of your grace and the victory that is ours in Jesus, our light in the darkness. Jesus, you are our hope and despair. And you are the author and finisher of our stories. And so it's in your beautiful name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.